If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. I said Wednesday night, and the same holds true today. I've used tools this week that I'm not accustomed to using, like a pen and paper. So I have to read my own hand scratch. And another tool that is far underused and is rusty, and that is my memory. So uh, I, here's my plan. We're going to work through this text of scripture. And I have sparse notes. But if you're wondering, like, what do his notes look like? You should be able to look at our focal verses, verses 11 and 12, and you should be able to follow everything that we say here today in this message. It should come straight from Scripture. We're going to read, uh, because it has been a few weeks, I have been out, and I appreciate your patience, but what a blessing it is to have had uh, men faithful to God's Word to stand and open the word to us in my absence. I am thankful for that, and I know you are too, but it is good to be back here. But it's been a while since we've been in First Peter, uh, so I want to remind us where we've been. Uh, to do this, I'd like to read beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2, and we'll read through verse 12. Uh, this, our text today is a transitional Text. It's bringing us into a place where we're going to receive much instruction in the coming verses in how we are to relate to those out there, to those outside, how we are to relate to one another, husbands and wives and, and employer-employee relations. All that's coming. What we have today is sort of a transitional thing. Before we get to the out there, we're going to be dealing with the in here, and I don't mean in here in the church, but in here within the inner man. I've titled today's message, The War Within. There are many enemies that we face as Christians, amen? Satan, demons, the world. There are so many enemies that we face that are outside, but today we will speak of an enemy within. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And coming to him as, a as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice or chosen and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then 
is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were no people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy or you were not loved, but now you are loved. You have received mercy. In our text for today, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from the fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Heavenly Father, we ask again your blessing on your word. God, we pray that you would work in us corrective discipline to remove false notions from our minds and that you would work in us discipline to build up truth. Truth upon truth, faith upon faith. God, we pray this morning that we would hear the voice of Christ as the word is preached. Hide this preacher behind the cross of Calvary. We ask this in Christ Jesus' precious name and for your kingdom's sake. Amen. As we have worked our way through verse by verse, first Peter, Peter has been giving us a description of the Christian or what is our identity in Christ as believers, as we are Christ's people, God's people. Who are we? And as we think back from chapter one through chapter two up to this point, he has told us that we are resident aliens, that we don't belong in this place. This world is not our home. As the song says, we're just passing through. We are pilgrims. We are born again. We are elect of God, chosen of God. We are children of our heavenly father, purchased, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Born of the imperishable, enduring seed of the word. All these things Peter has been teaching us and telling us who we are. We are, as we have just read, living stones. Identifying with the living stone, Christ Jesus. We are being built into a spiritual house. We are a holy priesthood. We are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for God's own possession. And we, who were no people, drawing from that Hosea text, we who were no people 
are now God's people. We who had not received mercy, we who were not loved, are loved of God. Some people, some people have said, boy, that's arrogant. Doesn't that just puff you up to say, you, you are the chosen ones. You are loved of God. Listen, this has nothing to do with us and who we are. Because we were, when we were no people and we were, we were unloved, we were unlovable. This has everything to do with God and His character and His grace and His covenant to redeem an unworthy, wretched people. So there's no room, there's no room for pride. This is who we are as Peter has presented it. And in the coming verses, as I mentioned, Peter will give us instruction on how we are to be in the world. But before we consider the out there, we consider in verses 11 and 12, how to be in the inner man. This is instruction for the inner man. He begins in verse 11. Beloved, I beseech you or I urge you. Beloved. He, he comes not with command, though he could command. He comes with urging, with beseeching. He comes with tenderness. Some have said, well, Peter comes here with tenderness because you can't command these things. You can't command things of the heart. Well, read the scripture and we find that you can't, that, that we may not be able to command things of the heart, but God frequently commands things of the heart. Remember this from the top 10. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. So I, we are commanded things of the heart. So the command could be here, and, and, and what is urged here is elsewhere commanded. But Peter comes with a tenderness here, and he speaks, Beloved. I'm sure that Peter's, Peter's love toward the saints was evident, and it's evident in his writing. But we are more than beloved of Peter. We are beloved of God. Comes and says, I urge you as strangers and aliens, or, or I urge you as pilgrims. Strangers. Nobody, nobody wants to be a stranger. Stranger, you, you don't fit in. I, I've thought about as we've been here, meeting here for about 14 years, and, and uh over these years, we've had people come in and, and I've thought about in studying this text, the, uh, the foreign students we had come. I thought about our brother that was so close to us and, and uh, who came from Lebanon. And he, uh, man, what a, what a blessing, what a privilege it was to have him and to count him even today as a friend. But I will tell you something, he didn't fit in. It, it was uh, taking him to the ATM was an event. It was a, this, he, he would come back from the ATM and say, I love America. <laughs> because the thing that you and I see is just commonplace, was just out of this world. It, he didn't fit in. Christians, we in this world 
are strangers, resident aliens. We're here. We're here for a time, but this world is not where our citizenship is. We are citizens of another country, of another place, a place made by God's hand. All that he has has presented, all that Peter has presented for us here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for our identity is wrapped up in these words. I urge you as strangers and aliens, everything that we've talked about and who you are in Christ comes to bear at this point. All of that, remember all of that, and, and we come to this place. Abstain. Fleshly. Lusts. Abstain fleshly lusts. Lusts are desires, appetites. We, we, think, we think of lust, when we hear that word immediately, there's a negative connotation. And most of the time that's right. But just on its face, the word lust is, is really just a desire. And not all desires are sinful. Not all, not all things that we that we have an appetite for or are sinful, but here we have this qualifier: fleshly lusts. These are specific or particular kinds of appetites, particular kinds of desires that are called fleshly. Fleshly is is here to be contrasted with the spiritual man. Fleshly, to be part of the old man. Fleshly, sinful, evil. And how many of us would agree, yes, we should really cut down on fleshly lusts. We should really, we should really curb fleshly lusts. But that's not what's here. Abstain. Abstinence. How much is too much? Any is too much. Abstain fleshly lusts. Why? They wage war against the soul. Your fleshly lusts may seem native. They may seem natural. They, they may seem so close to you that they are a part of you. Yes, it is part of your inner man. It's, it's in you, but it is not in you to help. It is not in you for your good. It is waging war. Waging war against your soul. I command here. Abstain fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. This is the battle within. This is the, this is the real root of the problem. The problem is not really out there. The problem is really me. You can say that too. The problem is really me. Abstain fleshly lusts. And, and, Fleshly lusts are not seen. Who would know? 
If you, if you decide, I, I don't think I would like to abstain fleshly lust. I think I would like to entertain fleshly lust. No one can look into your soul and see these things. They're the most dangerous types of sin because they're invisible to those around you. But verse 12 immediately goes to keep your behavior excellent. It, verse 12 speaks of our behavior. And behaviors are seen. Behaviors are visible. So what happens if we don't abstain fleshly lust? Then our behaviors follow those fleshly lusts. Our behaviors follow. And, and we want to be very clear here. Having a desire initially is not necessarily sinful. Having a desire, as, as a matter of fact, most of the things that are the, that are the worst fleshly lust items, if we were to list them, would be things that in the right context, in the right confines, in the right, in the the biblical place, these things are good. Think about when we say fleshly lusts. Maybe, maybe eating and drinking comes to your mind. Eating and drinking. And eating and drinking, we would have to say, is an appetite. It's a, it's a lust. It's a desire. But eating and drinking... And to have that desire is no sin. The sin comes with those fleshly lusts when we entertain those fleshly lusts and then that turns to behavior that is sinful. The desire of sexual intimacy within marriage between a man and a woman is good. And God has given it as a gift. But outside the bounds, outside the arena which God has blessed, it becomes sinful. These fleshly lusts may not be seen, but they will feed into actions, they will feed into behavior. And we are instructed here to abstain fleshly lusts. Verse 12, keep your behavior excellent among Gentiles. The King James says, keep your conversation honest. Keep your conversation honest. This is one of those times that we have to think about words. When we, when we use the word in our modern day, in our modern vernacular, conversation just means to, to talk back and forth. But, but when we read, keep your conversation honest among Gentiles, it's more than just what we say. It goes into what we do as well. Behavior is a pretty good word. Keep your behavior honest. Keep your behavior excellent. Keep your behavior pure. Among the Gentiles, and, and here Gentiles does not mean the non-Jew. Gentiles here is, is, in, is indicating those who are outside of Christ. For those who are lost, those who are in the world without God, 
keep your behavior excellent when you're living among the world, among the worldlings, those who don't know Christ. Keep your behavior excellent among them so that in the things which, in which they slander you as evildoers, because they will. If you haven't figured it out yet, the world hates you, Christian. Well, they hated Christ and they hate you too. And the more you look like Christ, the more you will be hated by the world. The more you emulate the words of Christ, the more you emulate the obedience and love for God that Christ has demonstrated, the more the world will hate you. They will slander you. They will speak evil against you. But in the things that they speak evil against you, those are the very things that you must keep your behavior excellent so that even in those things, they will have no leg to stand on, so to speak. They will have no grounds for their slander. And we see this, uh, what some have called the evangelical or the, the gospel in our behavior. Keep your behavior excellent that in the things that they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, because of your good works, they may observe them and glorify God. You've heard the saying, your life is the only Bible some people will ever read. That's a shame. And when we speak to people, we should have God's words on our lips so that they may never open to read a text of Scripture, but they will hear the truth of God's Word coming from us. But our behavior must follow the Scripture, must follow it says here, good deeds, that they may, because of your good deeds, verse 12, keep your behavior excellent. They may, because of your good deeds, because of your good behavior, because of your excellent behavior, as they observe them, they glorify God. Glorifying God, this is the Gentiles, this is those who are without Christ, this is those who are outside the church, those who are in the world without God, lost. How are they glorifying God in this? It says that they may glorify God in the day of visitation. In the day of visitation. Now when we see this phrase in the day of visitation or the term the day of visitation, when we see it in scripture, it refers to a day of judgment. <coughs> it refers to a day of judgment and not always the final judgment, but it's believed here that this is referring to to the final judgment and in the final judgment these Gentiles these who were without Christ because you have lived with excellent behavior and obedience to Christ they have observed and in the day of visitation in the final judgment they are glorifying God the whole idea here is that they have become believers in Christ partly due to your excellent behavior. Which started in the inner man abstaining from fleshly lusts. 
Now, no one will be saved. No one will come to Christ simply because of an example. No, no one will come to Christ because they see our lives as we live them in obedience, even if we were to live most excellent. The Word and the Spirit are necessary for the conversion of a sinner. The Word and the Spirit. But God uses circumstances of life and God uses the example and the witness of believers to bring people to that place where they can hear the Word and the Spirit. So Christians, this is the instruction. Abstain fleshly lusts. Because fleshly lusts wage war, we are at war. I mean, that's how it works, isn't it? When someone declares war on you, you are at war. I don't want to be at war, but you're at war. There's two ways this goes. You fight because you're at war. You defend the fortress. You defend the city. You defend or you surrender. When you surrender, you say to the enemy, here are my weapons. I lay them down. Come in and take what I have as your own. Take up residence in my place. I mean, that's how war goes. You, you either engage, you fight the battle, or you lose. Now, Christians, those who are in Christ, there's no question. There's no question about the victory and where does the victory go? Christ has won the ultimate victory already through his life and death, demonstrated by his resurrection. He's already won the victory, but he has given this for us, for our good, for our sanctification, that we wage war, that we fight this battle, that we daily put on the armor, that we daily take up the sword, which is the word of God, that we daily take up prayer. He has given this to us that we wage war. So how should we go about this? How are we Christians to abstain fleshly lusts? I have here four statements as to how a Christian should wage war against fleshly lusts and thereby keep our behavior excellent. We should wage war with humble prayer. We should wage war with hateful thinking. We're going to come back. We should wage war with honest action. And we should wage war with helpful participation. We'll try to work through these quickly. We should wage war with humble prayer. As I've already mentioned, Christ is our victory. He is our victory. He is the victor. 
You and I, Christians, we have no hope to come against Satan. Satan is more powerful than we. But greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Christ is our champion. So when we are to wage war, when we come against fleshly lust, we come first with humble prayer, the knee bowed before God, because there is help and there is hope for those who rely on God. Isaiah 41 says, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. He is our strength. He is our champion. He is our warrior. Psalm 18, 2. The Lord is my rock, my deliverer, my shield. He is my stronghold. We wage war against fleshly lusts, beginning with humble prayer. Now, as preachers often do, I had to have something that started with H. So we wage war with hateful thinking, humble prayer, hateful thinking. It's not that it doesn't fit. It fits. Hateful thinking, that may seem so odd to you. Aren't Christians supposed to not hate anything? I, I present to you that we cannot love unless we hate. Who can say, I love babies, without saying, I hate abortion? Who can say, I love my wife and my children, without saying, I hate the ones who would be enemies, those who would harm my wife and children? Who, how do we love without hate? And we, Christians, must hate. How else are we to respond to fleshly lusts which will become sinful? How are we to respond to sin? I wrote this, not with nice. We don't respond to sin with nice. We're not to be polite. We don't negotiate. Just allow a little bit of sin. A little sin will grab you by the toe, one theologian said, and pull you into the lake, and you will find the lake is a bottomless pit that will lead you to hell. We do not negotiate, we do not, we do not play nice with sin. There is no politeness. How often, Christians, are we more concerned with hurting the feelings of someone else? Well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I, I, I don't agree with what they're going to. They're going to drink to excess. They're going to go to the strip club. They're going to do. The, I mean, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to seem rude. Christian, be rude. If that's what it takes. Don't be nice to sin. Often we are, we are too nice. We, we do things like rewarding ourselves. I've, I've abstained fleshly lusts. I've lived with righteousness and I've, I've, I've put away the things of the flesh. So I'm going to reward myself with a little evil. I'm going to reward myself with just a little sin. Christians, we must stop this kind of behavior. We must not respond with nice. We must respond with anger, with righteous anger, with holy hatred. 
We must respond with hateful thinking. The scripture instructs us with words like mortify, kill. Psalm 9710, you who love the Lord hate evil. See, how do you say I love the Lord and you say, you don't, you say I don't hate sin? If you're going to love the Lord, you must hate sin. Romans 12, 9, abhor what is evil. Proverbs 8, 13, fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Romans 8, 13, and then repeated in Colossians 3, 5, words like kill sin, mortify. Put away. We must respond with a holy hatred. Now, a holy hatred. This is not a good approach for a movie franchise. You think about the first movie you saw with the bad guy and the baddest of bad guys. And then he came back for the sequel. And then he came back for number three and four. And what is Jason on now? 25? Who knows? Freddie. We've all got those ones in our minds that they're the bad guy. And at the end of the movie, there's a minor victory, but not a final victory. Because we got to come back for the sequel. We got we to gotta put out another movie. That's the way the movie franchise works. But, but Christians, mortifying is a great approach. It was a great approach for David. When David was in the field tending the sheep of his father and the bear came, he didn't just shoo that bear away. He killed the bear. He killed the lion. And when Goliath came, David didn't just hit him in the head with a rock. Go back and read it. He separated his head from the rest of him. It was fun. Goliath wasn't coming back. David used this final approach and it worked. Elijah, Elijah facing 400 prophets of Baal killed 400 prophets of Baal. I often think about that. One man killing by by whatever means they had, they didn't have the means we have. 400. That's a day's work. That's a, that's a long day. But guess what? They're not coming back. That was fun. That put an end. It worked for David. It worked for Elijah and Christians. It's the only approach for us as we face sin and this sin in the inner man. As we abstain fleshly lust, keeping our behavior excellent. The only approach is that as Owen said, we would be killing sin, lest sin be killing us. If you're not waging war to kill sin, sin is winning the battle against you. Satan as a roaring lion is not seeking to capture. He's seeking those whom he may devour. We wage war with humble prayer. We wage war with hateful thinking. We wage war with honest actions. Christians, we must be honest 
in assessing areas of our life where we lack self-control, where we lack that hated word, discipline. Self-discipline. Our relationships with our friends, is it, is it worth your soul to maintain those relationships with those friends that lead you into sin? Is it worth it? <coughs> Our pastimes, what do we do as we, as we seek a distraction, as we seek a break, as we seek an escape? Are our pastimes leading us to sin? I want to go hang out with the guys, but they go to those places that I know I shouldn't be going to. They drink to excess when they get there. And if I go, are you going to lie to yourself and say, I'm, I'm too strong for that? If you think you're strong, take heed lest you fall. Ladies, I, I see your same dilemma. I want to go. I want to hang out with those women. I want, I want to do that. But then when I go, they're so gossipy. They're so critical. Speaking about their husbands in negative ways. Is it worth it? Well, i got to have friends, do you? Do you, at the cost of your soul? At the cost of your soul? You need a hangout? We need to be honest as we assess the areas where we are tempted, where we lack self-control, our appetites, our habits. We need to do a thorough inventory of ourselves and wage war against fleshly lusts. Now, I have here... And I know we're going too long. I'm catching up. <laughs> I have here abstaining from lawful things for a time for strength and growth. Sometimes there are lawful things. And by the way, when, when Peter instructs us abstain fleshly lusts, he is not talking about abstaining from lawful things. That is not what he's talking about. There are times when we as Christians may abstain from lawful things for a time for strength and for growth. I think about the drunkards that I have known who have come to Christ in repentant faith, praise God, who have said, I love beer, but... I've got to stay away. Sometimes that is for a time and sometimes that is for a lifetime. For my own strength, for my own growth, I have to abstain from the wine which the Bible tells us makes the heart merry, the gift that God has given us. But sometimes we have to abstain from lawful things for growth and for strength. And Christians, we have to be sensitive to brothers and sisters who are, who are in that place, 
who are who are weaker. And We must come to this battle with humble prayer, with hateful thinking, and with honest action. Honest action, assessing where we lack self-control. And we must remember Galatians 5, 22 and 23, self-control is listed there in the fruit of the Spirit. Lastly, we must wage war with helpful, helpful participation. I remember... I remember the commercials that I find kind of funny. Some of you are army guys. We, we appreciate your service in our military. Do you remember the commercials for the army? The army of one. Do you remember that? Army of one. I, I think I know what they were after. I think they were trying to say, you will be stronger as an individual because of your involvement with the with the army. I think that's what they were after. That you will be strengthened as an individual. But, but there is no such thing as an army of one. The army is a, is a group effort, right? There's, there's a lot of togetherness. And Christians, as we wage war, as we enter this battle, as we seek to fight against the fleshly lust to, to keep our behavior excellent, this is not something to be done alone. This is to be done in the congregation of God's people. This is to be done in the fellowship of the church. That we might help one another, that we might strengthen one another, that we might do the one another's of Scripture, bearing one another's burdens. Confessing our sins one to another. Encouraging one another in righteousness. Stirring one another up to love and good deeds. We don't wage this war alone. We wage this war with humble prayer. With hateful thinking. With honest action. And with helpful participation in the body of Christ. May God help us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the straightforward honesty of it. <coughs> Showing us the truth where, where Satan and the world and ourselves, we would lie to even to ourselves to say that the world is our friend, that the fleshly lusts are harmless, but your word is honest with us. Shows us that we wage war even within. God, we come now humbly in prayer, asking that you would, by your word and your spirit, convict us, those of us who have lived <coughs> our lives allowing sin to take up residence in the city of our soul, allowing sinful behavior, sinful thoughts, sinful actions, allowing those enemies to come in and to dwell, to 
try to find peace and harmony. God, forgive us. That is sin. Forgive us. Help us. Strengthen us. Give us, give us a love for the things that you love and give us a hatred for the things that you hate. Scripture is so clear that you hate sin, that you are angry with sin all day. God, give us hearts that are angry where you are angry. That seek after you. God, for those who are not addressed in this passage, this passage being addressed to strangers and aliens, to those who are in Christ, God, we lift to you those who are outside of Christ, those who are lost, those with whom fleshly lusts are not waging war. There is no battle. There is no conflict because sin has them by the throat. God, we pray that you would that you would redeem, that you would ransom, that you would save. You, the only one worthy, the only one able. We pray all this for the edification of your church, for the good of your sons. <clears throat>